0: Once again, thank you for being here tonight. I want to welcome everybody and all those listening on our podcast channel as well. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be studying the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that. If you use your phone or your iPad, that's cool. That's how I do most of my Bible studies. Uh, Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 5, 1 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. All the verses will be on the screen uh, right behind my head. So like always, let's jump right in. Let's, let's read Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Let's see what Paul is, wants us to know. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, the way Paul is starting out this chapter, he's giving us some insight to where he is going, and, mo- and even more important than that, what's going to matter most, like where we're going. So he's basically, he's laying out a road map. That's what he's doing. He's highlighting our ultimate destination. And what matters most in this, what we need to really understand, is that we are justified through faith. Okay, that's the idea. That's the starting point. This is our foundation. In fact, this is how being justified through faith is really how we should read and understand everything in the Bible. And to be specific, being justified through faith means that without faith, we're not justified. Okay? Um, Without faith, we are sinful, we're guilty, period. That's how it is. We stay in that place. We have no way to fix it ourselves. We're done. Game over. So being justified through faith means that first we're guilty and we understand that. But here's the key. Something happened that changed our status something profound, something happened that corrected our status as being separate from God. And what that was is faith, faith in Jesus Christ. This faith justifies us because his death on a cross removed our sin, the problem, right? What was uh, preventing us from reaching God. So back to Paul's point, everything that we're going to read and understand in the Bible must come from this point. You are sinful, and through Jesus Christ, you are made righteous, justified, you're made right in God's eyes. And once we have that understanding, then we can start to put all the pieces together and see farther down the road, which is where Paul is taking us. And the next thing down the road, Paul says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this does not mean peace normally the way us humans use the word peace, which is basically absence of war for the most part, right? But rather, this means peace between God and us. Let me explain. Prior to our sins being removed through Jesus Christ, we were offensive. To God. Our continual choice to live a sinful life apart from God is what separated us from Him. Think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve chose to take a bite of that apple when they were told specifically not to, right? It's just one example, right? They chose to live apart from from God. But then on the totally opposite side of the coin, when we choose, make our own choice to repent of our sin, to admit to what we do, and turn it over a new leaf and follow Jesus Christ, that separation between God and us is removed. There's then peace between God and us. The relationship is fixed. And now we have an inner peace knowing we are saved and we have a place in God's kingdom in heaven. Now there's another point, an aspect of this, this peace that we need to talk about because it does cause some confusion sometime, sometimes, and I've seen this personally. Once we are saved, once we are justified, it does not mean, everybody listen here, all areas of our life are going to be smooth sailing. It doesn't mean that. Life can still be a battle in some areas. We certainly don't have peace with the devil, do we? He will do everything he can to trip you up, pull you away, make your life difficult, all that stuff. Jesus himself said to the disciples in John 16, In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So what he means, he means that you are saved, you are justified. The world is not. You follow me, the world does not. The world will turn against you, but stay strong, I have overcome the world. So the reason we can have peace is because of the work and the word of Jesus Christ. And the reason we remain in this world is to share the message of Jesus Christ, right, with the fallen world, which we were once part of. So what Paul's saying is we shouldn't be discouraged during difficult times, they're going to happen, right? Jesus actually said, hey, that's to be expected. It's, it's normal. We can have faith and remain strong in Jesus Christ because of him. Now, as we continue into verses 3 and 4, Paul, he, to be honest, he's going to say something that seems at odds with what humans normally do. Paul is going to say we should be happy and rejoice in our sufferings, right? And to be honest, let's, that sounds a little crazy, Right? Am I one mean, would admit that? You're not saying Paul's crazy. You're just saying, that sounds odd, right? Very counterintuitive. But let's read what he's talking about because you'll see he's actually right. So Romans 5, 3 and 4. Not only so, but we should also what? Glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So after we read this, it's pretty obvious that's exactly what Paul just said. He's, we should glory, we should rejoice, be happy in our sufferings. And again, if we're being honest, and when you first read that, you're like, ah, no thanks. I'm good. You know, hey, I-, I can be happy without all that stuff. Why would a normal person want to do that? right? Why would Paul say this? What does hardship, what does suffering accomplish? And he tells us this. And when we get through this, this is going to make total sense. Paul says suffering produces perseverance. Now, perseverance is an interesting word. Persevere means to stay strong when it's hard to do that. To not be swayed, moved, forced to change direction, right? To persevere means you stay the course even during the storm. And Paul's reason for making this case, for saying this, is that it benefits us when we persevere, we're taught to persevere. And within this idea, Paul also seems to suggest there's not going to simply be one storm, one bump in the road. But there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be several. It won't be one stressful time. There'll be many. But because of something that we possess, we can persevere. We can. What we possess is not valuable just to us, but it's valuable to the people on the other side of the storm, too. People that are going through the storm with you. People that are going to have their own storm. And they need hope. They need a reason to go on. And that's why this message is so beautiful. So what we have in Jesus really is the key to salvation. If it's true, then we can persevere. There's a reason to do that. And Paul speaks this way to help us see that in difficult times, we can do this. We can get through it. What we possess in Jesus Christ is worth it. And persevering, he says, builds us into better Christians. Paul actually says staying the course in difficult time, times builds character. I remember when I was young in high school, my dad was saying, well, this builds character. I'm like, yeah, no thanks, oh man. <laughs> I'm as tall as you now. I can decide what builds character, right? No, when you're young, you're like, but let's be honest, we can understand what Paul's talking about right? Staying the course does build character. It takes, it takes whatever we are as Christians at the beginning and builds us into better, stronger Christians. That's what he means. The word character refers to being more trustworthy, trustworthy dependable, honest, hardworking, honorable, persevering. It, it's almost like I was watching something uh, you know, on YouTube and you watch some cool videos every once in a while there's they're showing how they make steel. It's pretty cool. They took a big lump of iron, mixed in a bunch of carbon, really hot, and then there's this machine that just pounded out. But eventually in the end it came with this huge, beautiful piece of steel. But what was the steel going to be used for? To hold cotton candy? No. What? Part of a building bearing heavy weight to last, to endure, to go through great stress, but it was made for a specific purpose. And that's what Paul's referring to this as well. The same is true for Christians. Paul is saying the process of life will build us into better Christians to make us stronger so we can persevere through that storm. And then we can also help provide support, hope for others. And that's the key. This is where the r- rubber meets the road because Paul says, this is beautiful. Paul says suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character. And this is where it's good. Character produces what? Hope. Hope. And the original Greek word for hope, you can also translate it as expectation. And those are very, very cool words when it comes to that. And again, think of, this, think of this from someone from the outside looking in. Think of a non-believer seeing a Christ follower going through a difficult time. No matter what you say to them, how they, how they see you go through your own difficult time is the best teacher of anything. If they see a Christian abandon all of Jesus' teachings, go into survival mode, knives out, and you're just, you know, what does that teach them? Is Jesus really there? What benefit is there to being a Christian? But if they see, if a non-believer sees a Christ follower, remain strong. Not just strong, but thankful, patient, loving, considerate to others during a difficult time. What does that say about Jesus Christ? There's hope. There is real hope. That's a beautiful message. And they can learn, well, if that's what Jesus can do for him or her, maybe they can do that for me. That's why Paul wants us to persevere during a storm. That's why he makes it be a big deal about glorying in your sufferings. He's not crazy. It sounds crazy at first, but he's actually saying in modern day terms, yes, life is going to be hard. It is. But if you're truly saved, no matter what you go through, you can persevere. And you can carry that message of Jesus Christ through the storm and onto the other side. And it will make you a better Christian. And think about this that's going through difficult times. It's really true about anything. Take any, any sport, for example, soccer. If you want to get good at soccer, do you want to play the kiddie team of like fourth graders? Or do you want to play a world class team? That is going to be difficult. But will it not, in the end, make you a better soccer player? The same is true for us. Real, true, solid faith is not built up. Is not, you don't get it through living a padded, wealthy experience, never being challenged, never going through the ringers, never experiencing dif- difficulty. It's made out there in the real world where you go through hardship. But that's also exactly where Jesus sent his disciples, wasn't it? He said, go. Yes, it's going to be hard, but go. I am with you. Let's jump back into Romans chapter 5. Let's see what he tells us in verse 5. He says, and hope, hope does not put us to shame. I love that. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So what he's saying here is Paul means there's the hope we have in God. It will never disappoint us. God's never going to leave us hanging. He's there for us. And when we put our hope in God, he will send his Holy Spirit to be with us. And because God resides in us, we will be okay. We always feel his love and hope. And it feeds on itself. Now, as we jump into verses 6 and 8, this is where it really gets good. This is why I love this part of Romans. We're going to see how awesome God is and how much he really, really loves us. Romans uh, 5, verses 6 and 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is the next word that matters. While, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is just some really, really good stuff in here. At just the right time, just when the world needed it most... God sent Jesus to die for us. Now, if you're normal, you're going to wonder, okay, what time was that? Was that the, the, the time that was it? But I think it's safe to say, if every human had their own choice, their own opinion, could offer their own suggestions to when Jesus, the best time for Jesus to come into this world, you'd have what? Millions and millions of different best times. No one agreed. You would have... Right and left side, You're, it's our side, no, it's our side. And you would get fights over it, and you get other denominations, and be, it would turn ugly, right? It'd be all over the place. No one could agree on the best time, but God knew the best time. And when the time was right, he sent Jesus Christ when the world needed it most. But more to the point, and this is why we're even talking about this, this is why Paul even wrote this, God sent Jesus to die for us when we were powerless and ungodly. Those are important words. When we were powerless, when we had no ability to save ourselves, and plus we were ungodly. That's when God sent Jesus to die for us. When you think about it, when you step back, think about it. Humans, if you were going to send Jesus, that would be probably the one time you wouldn't want to send Jesus. When people were ungodly, when they are behaving awfully. Who would want to save those people? Think in the big picture how people treat each other now. and this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not, we humans had to be told not to murder each other. It wasn't just in writing, God put it in what? Stone. And how good we did we do with that? We had to be told, don't lie, cheat, steal, because we were being ungodly. And my overall point is, think how loving and forgiving God is that he sent Jesus during that time. He chose the right time. He didn't send Jesus to people who were godly and patient and forgiving and loving. He sent Jesus to save the lost, the really lost. And this this is key for us to understand before we repent. When we repent, we aren't saying sorry for the easy stuff. We should be saying, Lord... I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I'm ungodly, I'm one of the people you were thinking of when you wrote the Ten Commandments. Put my name on the bottom. I am a sinner, I can't save myself, therefore I ask Jesus to help me. I repent of my sin. And that distinction is important because Paul said Christ died for the ungodly, the powerless, the sinners, that means us. God intervened at the right time to save the world. And now his next, the next verse, verse 7 says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person some uh, some some might possibly dare to die. What he means is that there may be some people that might die for a noble cause. Noble cause. This can be like imagine in, in a war where one soldier puts himself at risk to save his fellow soldiers. Right. And Paul's point is, the soldier might do that because he views his own brothers, his soldiers, as good. The other side's evil. He's willing to step in line. To protect them, they're good. They don't deserve to die, right? The other side is evil, so he's going to protect them. He says a few people might be willing to do that. But the kind of death that Jesus experienced was different. Jesus died for people who did not deserve, who deserved to die, who weren't good people. He died for people who were guilty. Jesus died for the people who tortured him, whipped him, nailed him to a cross. And here's the kicker. I'm going to make sure I'm not going to bump anything. When Jesus was on the cross, he was hanging there. What? And he was slowly bleed, bleeding to death. What did he ask God the Father to do for the people that did that to him standing? We're still standing there at his feet, mocking him. He didn't ask to lessen his own pain, to die quickly. He asked that they get let off scot-free. That's huge. That's the kind of love God has. That's the kind of death he died that is far different. It's far more than anything we could do. This is what Paul's talking about. And now this is going to bring us to verse 8, which we read, where Paul states, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. And the huge word, this is what anyone should take from this tonight. The big word is the word while, while we were still sinners. So let me restate this another way. God demonstrated his love from us just as much by Christ dying on the cross as who Christ died for. Jesus dying on the cross was epic and it was awesome, but believe it or not, that's not all. The gift gets greater considering who he died for. Jesus did not die just for the people who didn't deserve it, but the people who were still actively sinning, were going to sin. This wasn't something that happened a long time ago, and they're like, yeah, I'm kind of sorry. I shouldn't do that again. He died for people that were still actively sinning, people who did not learn their lesson. This is talking about all the people that back then that saw Jesus face-to-face, heard the message, and then turned their back on him and walked away and did something awful. He died for them. This is about Jesus dying for people who totally deserve God's punishment. He died on the cross, and he died for the people that still very much knowingly sin. And to give you a small idea of how big this is, there's a scenario where Jesus was talking with the disciples. It's in Luke chapter 17. And I remember when I was young and I read it, I'm like, what does this mean? And then you get older, you kind of understand, it. You're like, what? Where the disciples, where to the, the subject that they're talking about, what Jesus says, the disciples actually say, increase our faith. And what they mean is, I can't do that. I don't have enough faith for that. Right? So the disciples are like, I don't have it. I don't have it. And what brought about that statement was Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins against you seven times in one day, and each time they come to you saying, forgive me, I'm sorry, I repent, you must do what? Forgive them. Now, um, A month or two ago, I described that same scenario, and the scenario I'm going to talk about to kind of help understand this teaching. So I'm going to do it again tonight. So this is how you kind of get a small piece of what Jesus is talking about. Imagine tonight, as every one of you leave to go home, you're driving home, you pull out 512, and immediately somebody just cuts you off. I mean, like hard. You're You're up on the sidewalk. You honk your horn, and you guys get out, and you're... And immediately you have words and eventually you get to the point where like, listen, they, they say, listen, I'm sorry, I cut you off, it was a mistake, I, I apologize, I'm sorry. What would most of you say? Hope not 100%. You'd be like, what? Okay, fine. Just, okay, that's fine. You get in your car, go about 100 yards, they do the exact same thing. On the hoard a little longer, a little more of these, you do the right hand too. You get out, a few more words. And what do they, they eventually come back and they say, listen, I am very sorry, I'm sorry. I know, it happened twice, I'm sorry. Okay, you get this. Okay, which means a little bit of I'm going to wait and see, but I'm I'm you know I'm trying. It's only happened two times. How many more times does it have to happen? Five more times on the way home. And what did Jesus say? You must do, have to forgive them. Take a deep breath. Now that we're in this place, can you see why the disciples go? I can't do that because we're just talking about getting cut off in traffic. Because let's 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 just be honest here. We can all forgive, right? We have the capacity to forgive. We can, especially the first time. Maybe the second. You're starting to push it, but I'll work with you. Why does it get harder each time to forgive them? Why? Because it's obvious they're not that sorry. They're not. Maybe the first time, a little harder the second time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth, seventh. You have to remember they cut you up. They're putting you physically at risk, your family at risk. You're going to tell me that doesn't get harder? Because we can all be nudged to forgive. Even if, even if the, guy, the person's like, throw me a bone here so I get the, I'm, at least fake it so I think you're going to try. Eventually, you get to the point where you're like, what about the times they aren't sorry? And they just say it. What does Jesus say we must do? It's uncomfortable to say, but say it. Forgive them. Now, the reason I went to that, and this is only getting cut off in traffic. This is not someone who's physically harmed you, cost you your job, took your spout, whatever, Right? Let's go back to this mindset and read Romans 5 8 again. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the reason this verse is so profound in that story, we are the person sinning five, six, seven times, keep saying our sorry, and yet keep doing it. That's all of humanity. And what does God do for us while we are that person? He forgives us. He sent Jesus to save us, to die for us to pay for our sins while we are totally not really repenting and turning from our sins. And here's the crazy part. This is what, you know, it's hard enough, but now let's bring Jesus back into it. Jesus isn't telling us to do something he didn't do himself. Again, let's go back. What did Jesus ask the Father for while he was dying on the cross? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's asking God to get them off scot-free. Were they sorry? No. They were actually playing a game betting to get, take his clothes. And they're making fun of him. And yet, God shows his love for us, that he sent Jesus to die for us while we were sinning. This is the height of love and compassion. There is no other religion in the world like this. There's no greater love than what Jesus did that died on the cross for us. And there's nothing harder that he's sending you out to do than to forgive people the way he forgave. And I think we kind of cheapen things. when We say, oh, it's no problem. Yeah, it is. Have you ever really been wronged? It's not easy. And that's why the disciples said, I need faith. Yeah, that's true. But with God, all things are possible. That's why we have such a great God. And until we really get to that point and understand that, our faith is not really going to grow until we really realize how much he loves us. Let's continue with reading Romans 5. Let's read verse 9. Since we have now been justified, justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now in this verse, Paul, he's contrasting how great this gift is and how awesome it is, but he also compares it to the wrath that we actually deserve. The same God which is capable of so much love and patience and understanding. If you remember in the Bible, he can also be full of anger and wrath. Can he not? He can. And because we are totally guilty, we should never forget our sin. We we can know and celebrate that our sin is removed, washed clean, but we should never forget where we came from. If we forget where we came from, Forget our sinful past. It's so much easier to fall back into that old life, to not take it that seriously. It's easy to backslide and not realize how blessed we are. So Paul's giving us some good news and also a warning. What Jesus did justifies us and makes us new, but we should never forget the wrath that Jesus, his death, saved us from. And this is along those lines where the Bible talks about having a fear of God. We don't have to be afraid of him but we do very much need to understand his power, his wrath, and how guilty we are. Having that, knowing that, understanding that also helps us to see why we need to have our, repent of our sins and have our sins washed away. It's just all wrapped together. And what Paul's doing, he's making sure we just, it's not like a buffet where we pick out the nice little stuff that we like and then we kind of leave the other stuff that's uncomfortable and like brush it under the carpet, let nobody know about that. And now, to also understand, this is kind of a complex topic, we should also th- also think about God's wrath from a different perspective, one that's not our own. Because, you know, from our own perspective, how we see things, it's very limited. Um, that's fine sometimes, but it's going to help us a little more if we look at this from Jesus' perspective. Because Jesus felt God's wrath as well, his punishment. We're going to build up to this. So if you just think for a moment, think of the story where Jesus was in the, uh, the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. About food and water, he was tempted by the devil. Did that break Jesus? No. How about when Jesus was arrested, beaten, whipped, forced to carry his own cross to his place of execution? Did that break him? No. How about after he was actually nailed to the cross and he hung there? Did that break him? No. Jesus was able to withstand all the torture and punishment for our sake without cracking But what finally caused him to cry out when God the Father turned his back on him? Right before Jesus died, he cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? That's the one thing that caused him to break and cry out. For a a short period, Jesus Christ was totally alone. Part of God's wrath includes not just physical punishment, but complete separation. See, the worst thing about hell, I mean, the fire, the brimstone is going to be awful. But the worst part is going to be a permanent, complete, eternal separation from God. The source of all light, love, goodness, hope, permanently cut off forever. That's what Jesus experienced. We are saved from that awful punishment. Because of Jesus Christ. So Paul, is, he's really taking his time to make sure we understand this all the way around, what it means to be justified. We do get heaven, which is amazing, but we're also spared God's wrath, eternal separation, and that's huge. And now let's continue. Let's read verse 10, because now it's just going to be some icing on the cake. This is where it's cool. It's where he starts to bring it home. For if, while we were God's enemies... We were recon- reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Now, Paul, he's one of the, he writes differently than some of the disciples. Actually, we were talking earlier about some of the books, James and, and John. And the way Paul writes sometimes can seem a little confusing at first, but really it usually has more to do with translating it through several different languages to modern English. And what Paul is actually saying is, look how God treats us when we're sinners. Look how loving, forgiving, patient, understanding he is. Think about getting, you know, the example of someone cutting you off seven times and having to forgive. God has no problem. He will totally forgive that. Look how God treats us while we're sinners. If that's how he treats us when we're sinners, how will he treat us when we are saved? When we turn from our sinful life and we follow him? How much more joy can we have? Right, it's almost like saying, "If this is how God treats His enemies, how does He treat those who love Him and keep His commands and follow Him?" And that's cool, but also at the same time, we got to be careful because we have our own ideas of what this means. And and, and um, I personally, um, I know that sometimes people, when they come to believe in God, if something happens in their life that's unfortunate. They start to question things a lot. For example, this next statement that I'm going to say, it happened at work within an earshot of me. This is verbatim. My daughter and I got baptized, but my uncle got sick still. You explain that. And I was like, I pushed back from my desk. Hold on a second. We have got to have a talk. But I want you to think about that. Think about what Paul is saying and what our human ideas. We come up with, Paul is not saying nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. What he's saying is that no matter what happens on this earth, there are two things we can count on. Number one, when those bad things happen, we can rejoice because God is building us into a better, more effective Christian. He's with us. He loves us. And Number two, no matter what happens in this life, we are saved. We are justified. We have an eternal home with God in heaven. And this reminds me of one of the, one of the best, this is my, one of my personal favorite Bible verses, especially during difficult times, is Roman eight thirty one. This is one, if you're ever going through hard times, this is the one I want you to remember. If God is for us, who can be against us? That is so awesome. That is so profound. That simple phrase is one of the best. It's bold in its meaning that there's nothing more powerful than God. But here's also why it's cool. It also recognizes that us humans can feel powerless. We can have those times. Humans can experience strife and hardship, and during those times, people can ask the question, they can wonder, is God strong enough for this? Because that's essentially where this comes from. Can God get me through this? Because our God is who he says he is, the answer is yes. And this is what I love about it. You can ask tough questions. Because he is the one true living God, he can handle your hard times. He can handle your doubts, your fears, your tough questions. Because the truth is, and I've said this before when I was talking with someone who's going through a hard time, if he can't handle your tough questions and your fears, then he is not worth your time. He can handle those things. And that's why Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. And this is where, now we're coming to our final verse, Romans 5, verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Paul's final point is this. Because we've been reconciled with God, we can celebrate. Our separation that we had due to sin has been removed. We have this, no longer have this barrier between God and us. And here's his other point. There is no reason to wait to get to heaven to truly celebrate and feel joyful. We receive the benefit of being reconciled to God right now, here today, in this church, at your homes, in publics, on the golf course, knocking one into the woods like I usually do. The process that saved us, we can enjoy the result today, because we are saved. We have hope. And I have the full picture here. The Greek word for reconcile is katalaje, and again, I'm not good on my ancient Greek, but that's what it looks like. But it means to bring together again people who have been estranged. That's what reconcile is coming from. So 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this, he meant very specifically that what Jesus did was he brought human, humans and their creator back together again. That's what Jesus did. Two separate parties became united once again. And that's why we can rejoice. That's why we can stay joyful. We can find purpose and happiness no matter the situation. God, the creator of the universe, is with us. He is for us. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have a home in heaven. Amen? So now as we finish, this is what we should know. This is what Paul wants us to know and to focus on. Jesus came into this world to save each and every one of us. He came to to wash away our sins to make us new. And this work reconciled us, brought us back together again with God. It made us right in his eyes. But we can only achieve that if we believe in him. If we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus Christ. So here tonight, if anyone has not done that, if you have not accepted Jesus, if you have not invited him into your life, we want you to do that. We, over, we invite you to do that. We want everyone to know Jesus and answer his call. So when we finish, we're going to pray. And in that prayer, all you have to do if you want to do that is say the words after me. Say it quietly. do it right there in your seat. There's no test. No one's going to ask you. But also in that prayer, we're going to pray for everyone here no matter what. For strength, for courage, and to ultimately be, be used by God. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins, and I believe you raised him from the dead. Today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today, each one of us as a church, we pray for strength to endure all trials. May everything that we go through, both good and bad, may it increase our faith, and may we always lean on you. Father, today, we also recommit ourselves to you. Many times in life, we get pulled away, we, get, we fall out of sync But today we make the choice to recommit to you. It's our choice. We choose you. Father, we also pray for all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you. It's only through you and the saving grace of your son that we have hope, that we are saved, that we are reconciled, that we are made righteous. And Father, we pray that as our faith grows, you'll use each one of us, you'll use this church as you see fit. Use us to expand your kingdom to reach others that don't know you or your Son. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us, for all the blessings you've bestowed upon us, and we thank you for your church. Most of all, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we ask all these things. Amen.